for reasons that have nothing to do 
with the self-giving way of Jesus. Cages that have far more to do with culture, tradition, and often with our own baggage and issues. And that's what I'd like to explore together today by looking at some of the stories in the Gospel So this is uh, the outline for today in a way. So first we're going to look briefly at the arrival of freedom in Luke. And this comes in the form of the visitation of God through Jesus. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And this visitation has to do with seeing and hearing. And then I want to turn to look at Jesus' declaration in the gospel that he has come to set us free. And then look at stories of how Jesus interacts with people and ask, what does it look like when Jesus sets people free? What, does, what do those interactions with people in the gospel look of, of, like? How does Jesus release people? And then third, and the final point, I'm only going to have a couple of minutes to touch on, and that is we're not only set free from something, but we're set free to something. So what is the spirit-empowered purpose that freedom brings for the people of God in this gospel, and what does it bring for us? So that's where we're going, seeing and hearing the visitation of God so that Jesus sets us free from the things that hold us down and sets us free to the fullest spirit-empowered life in God's kingdom. And so I want to start with visited by God, seeing here. So this is one of the most central ideas in the Gospel of Luke, and that is that God is visiting humanity through Jesus, and this visitation sets us free. Now, the word visitation might sound a little strange. It's not a word we use a lot in church. But it is Luke's particular way of describing the arrival of God's redemption and salvation. And you can see one example of how Luke describes the visitation here in Luke 168, and I... I've added kind of a literal translation so that you can see that. God's visitation is a reality-changing divine help that the people of Israel have long awaited, and the visitation arrives from Jesus. Its purpose is freedom. And we see this especially in chapter 4, which is Jesus' kind of inaugural opening sermon in the Gospel of Luke, and it's only in the Gospel of Luke, and so that's where I want to start. In chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he finds a spot on the scroll. You're probably familiar with this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Big, surprising news. And Jesus is using, if you notice, words from Isaiah. So these words from Isaiah, quoted by Jesus, uh, let's look at those. The prophet Isaiah is looking forward to a time of Holy Spirit freedom, and it's also looking backward to an ideal from the book of Leviticus called the Year of Jubilee. So once every 50 years, there was a year in Israel when liberty was proclaimed, when freedom was enacted. It was a time of restoration to ancestral family lands, a time of release from slavery, a time of canceling of debts. And, in turn, the idea of Jubilee harkens back to the experience of the Exodus. So you have this kind of uh, building of history, upon history. So that's a time, of course, when God heard the cries of oppressed people and answered those cries by setting them free from slavery. So Isaiah is drawing upon the past to anticipate a future time, what I like to call the Jubilee of the Holy Spirit, a time of expansive freedom, and he calls it good news. So this is good news for those who are poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. Good news that the Holy 
is now. For Isaiah, it is in the future, but Jesus says it's happening now. The Holy Spirit is now reaching into all aspects of human life to set us free from all kinds of oppressions. This is a powerful and bold declaration by Jesus in Luke. But sometimes, I think, we water it down. One way I've heard that this watered down is to shift the timing of this freedom so that it becomes mostly about the afterlife. Salvation will set us free after we die. This is not so much wrong as it is partial. If we limit our view of salvation this way, then we miss out on how much the Holy Spirit desires to set us free now. The time is now. The second way that this message gets watered down is when we overly spiritualize it. We see it as speaking about our souls only. We see it mostly as a release from sin or the consequences of sin, but in a very limited way. And again, this isn't wrong, but I think it's partial. Absolutely, the good news sets us free spiritually. But I also see in Scripture that God cares about us as whole people. God cares about all the very real kinds of oppression and enslavement that people face in all areas of our human lives. So yes, God cares about the spiritual oppression of evil, sin, and death and wants to set us free. And God cares about the challenges and illnesses our bodies face. God wants to set us free from sickness. God wants to set us free from addictions. God cares about our economic well-being, and I don't mean this in a prosperity gospel kind of way. I can be wrong there. But God cares about our ability to feed and clothe and house and care for ourselves and our families. God wants to set people free from economic oppression. God cares about the injustices that we suffer, both large and small. God wants to set people free from systemic injustice and political oppression. And God cares about those of us who have been abused and mistreated and harassed and marginalized and minoritized by systems or people in power, whether that power is spiritual, political, economic, or social. And God wants to do this here and now through Christ. We are visited by God, and the purpose of this visitation is to set us free. So that's something, uh, that's, that's sort of the first part of the foundation of being set free. God, Jesus is announcing But there's something else that we see in Luke that's related to this idea of being set free, and that is that God visits humanity to set us free, but there's a problem. And the problem is that God's visitation doesn't happen exactly in the way that people expect. It's surprising. They don't seem to expect a Messiah who was born in a stable, who doesn't claim political power, and who cares more about people who are the least important in society. So to put this another way, God's amazing work isn't always easy to see and hear, especially if our attention is focused elsewhere. So have you heard of the interesting human phenomenon known as inattentional blindness? You haven't, I'm going to tell you that. This is when you can't see something that is right in front of you because your attention is focused on something else. Psychologists have done really interesting experiments on this phenomenon, and one of the most famous such experiments was conducted in the 1990s, and people, you may have heard about this, people were asked to watch a video of basketball players. One team was wearing black shirts, and one team was wearing white shirts. And they were asked to really concentrate and count how many times the players in the white shirts passed the ball. And in the middle of this video, as they were watching, uh, for almost nine seconds, a woman in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the scene, stops to face the camera, thumps her chest, and then walks to the other side. After this. 
this problem. Fully half of the observers who were focused on counting the players with the white shirts, so they were focusing their attention on the white shirts, did not see the gorilla at all. Nine times. It's interesting, right? The point is that we filter the world through our focus and our expectations. And in a way, this is actually really a really cool human trait. Uh, humans have this power of attention to screen out unnecessary information and let in only those elements of our world that we want or need to see or hear at that moment. And this allows us to zero in on a task while filtering out all these distractions. And if you have a family member who does this well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do this very well. It drives my experience. <laughs> so there are characters, there are some characters, oh sorry, uh, uh, distractions, but this, this can have a negative impact as well. So it can be a positive human trait, but it can be a negative too. And that is that we can miss what would otherwise be obvious and important signals. So one of the big ideas in Luke is that in order to be set free by God's visitation, we also must see and hear God's visitation. And there are some characters in Luke who don't, who miss it. And I don't have time to look at their stories, they're very interesting, but I'll just mention that the people in Luke who most often miss the visitation are those people who have some measure of power in their sphere of influence, and those who have gotten just a little lost in their own self-importance. By contrast, Luke makes the point that to see in here takes something different than that. It takes repentance and humility. So when our attention is on God, this is way, when our attention is on God, our hearts will be repentant and humble, and then we will see and hear the freedom that God brings. So that's the foundation for freedom in Luke's gospel. The visitation of God brings freedom, and that freedom is associated with seeing and hearing. So with this foundation in mind, I'd like to turn to how Mary, Jesus' mother, sees and hears at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Now, I imagine Mary is familiar to most of us in this room, and we probably know that she is likely a very young woman, because uh, women marry young in this day. Uh, she's a relatively powerless woman in a society dominated by older men. Uh, she's likely a poor woman in a society that had enormous gaps between uh, a very small group of wealthy elites and the very large population of peasants with no rights. So Mary was not looking at the world from a position of social privilege, and yet, she is chosen by God, and that's important to see. And when, the, uh, uh, and when the angel comes to her, let's look at her reaction. So the angel says, Greetings, favorite one, the Lord's with But Mary was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Although Mary is confused, understandably, she ponders. Now, this word means to think or reason carefully, especially about the implications of Pondering is what philosophers did in the ancient world. This word shows up in a lot of discussion about philosophy. So Luke is telling us that Mary is using her mind. We can see how she uses her mind by the very logical, if obvious, question that she asks the angel after she gets the rest of the news, and that is, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel then gives her an explanation and evidence. And has you noticed that Mary didn't test this evidence? She goes and visits her cousin. And then she sings a hymn of praise, and that hymn of praise shows her orientation to God, her focus on God, and it also shows her very deep and tremendous knowledge of Scripture. Because if you look at that song, she weaves all of these Scripture references into the hymn. So, to recap what we see with Mary, she thinks hard, asks questions, investigates, prays, and relies on Scripture. 
These are all important things to do, all actions that will help us see and hear. But I think these actions help Mary see and help hear well because of Mary's heart. Her heart is oriented to God, and we see this when she says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. And also, I'd like to make the second point, that in Mary's story, the seeing and hearing goes both ways. So Mary sees and hears God, and God sees and hears Mary. Mary really was a nobody from society's standards, but God chooses her, God sees her, and that's important. And when you look closely at how Mary is described, you find something interesting about how God sees her, and this has to do with the word blessed in the passage. In Luke, Mary is described as blessed uh, in the whole gospel four times, and three of these happen early in the gospel. So the first two times, it is Elizabeth who calls her blessed. So at 1.41, the two women greet each other. The unborn infant jumps in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So I want to point out that there's a connection here between blessing and womb, um, and I'm just mentioning that because it's going to come up again, so I just want to give those. Then Elizabeth goes on to call Mary blessed a second time. Blessed is she who believes that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth seems to be describing Mary's whole process of seeing and hearing. Like Mary has attention. She sees the visitation of God, uh, and she believes it. So Mary is blessed by God because of her response to God. The third time that Mary is described as blessed happens in her own words in her song of praise, and she says this, Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. So you can see, Mary echoes Elizabeth's words about her being blessed, and notice that she emphasizes what God has done for her. So this is that focus, that attention, how God has done great things with her, with the uh, favor. In other words, Mary is blessed because God has seen her, God has visited her, God has looked upon her. These are the foundations of being set free, that God is visiting us in Christ, that we are truly seen and heard by God, that we must see and hear how God is setting people free, and we need to do that even when it's surprising. Uh, so I want to turn now to looking at some stories of how Jesus sets people free in So we looked at the foundations for this, and now let's see what happens this play out in some of these stories. Now, there are many stories that I could have selected. Luke is a long gospel, and uh, I had to be selective. So I could have chosen stories about lepers, or tax collectors, or blind men. But Luke is also known for stories about women, and so those yeah. are the ones that I decided to focus on today. And so to begin, I want to continue Mary's story. So you may mention that I said she was called blessed four times in the gospel. We've already seen three of those. So I want to go to the fourth time, and that occurs in chapter 11. So Jesus is out and about teaching, and suddenly a woman in the crowd raises her voice and yells out to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and breasts that nursed you. So notice again, I said I was coming back. <laughs> There's a connection between blessing and women. Now, Luke is a careful writer, and I don't think this happens by accident. The similar words of blessing here create for us, his audience, a connection between this scene and the earlier part of Mary's story. It kind of brings those together for us. And notice also that the woman in the crowd is not blessing Jesus, uh, she's blessing his mother. And she's using a very customary way in the ancient world of praising motherhood. Like almost everyone else in this time period, she probably 
taught Giselle a woman's primary purpose and identity in her womb and breast. So to put this another way, women were defined through their role as mothers or potential mothers. And this is why the inability to have a child can be so devastating and shameful in the ancient world. In that culture, it could mean that a woman had no meaning or no purpose, no worth or value. So I suppose we can't really blame the woman in the crowd for speaking to Jesus' mother this way. She's just simply being a person of her time and place. But notice that Jesus does not let her comments slide by. He corrects her. And he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, the woman's comment may be well-intentioned, but it has the effect of reducing Mary to something less than a person, to a role, to a vessel. And Jesus pushes back. Mary is not a woman in breast, but a fully human whole being, a unique individual with inherent worth. Her value is not in a role or in what she can produce, but her value is that she exists as a child of God. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Mary is blessed not by fulfilling a socially assigned role, but because she has heard the word of God. She's blessed because she has focused her attention on her creator and responded accordingly. In fact, as we've already seen, Luke has already told us that Mary used her mind, her ears, her eyes, and especially her heart see God's work in the world and become part of it. So Jesus uses his voice here to set Mary free. To set her free from a rule assigned to her by society and by extension also to release the woman who speaks this well-intentioned but incorrect blessing. They are both unique human beings who find blessing in their focus on and response to their creator. I'd like to suggest that Jesus' voice in this story does the same for us today. We live in a different culture. Our societally assigned roles are different than those in the first century. But would you agree that our world still lays out a lot of expectations for us? Do you ever feel boxed in by society's expectations for you? Here is thinking from this story, perhaps as a woman or as a man. If you don't, Great. But I know many who do. And since I'm with the female side of this, I'll speak briefly to that, to the sisters in the room. We face expectations about how we should look, how we should dress, how we should act, expectations about the kind of work we should do or other activities we should or shouldn't do, expectations about whether we should marry or have a family or if we have a family, what our mother is. And all these expectations say to us that we are worthy only if we live up to them. We are blessed only when we fit into a mold that other people set for us. But Jesus says, that's a lie. Jesus tells us you are blessed not because you do the things people expect from you or fit their mold. You are blessed because you hear the word of God and you obey. Do we believe it? Do we accept the expansive freedom that God offers for each of us to be in a relationship with our Creator as authentically truly ourselves? Do we accept this freedom or do we narrow down our vision to a confined, limited idea of who we or other people should be? Do we, like the women in the crowd, put cultural roles on each other as if those roles came from God? And I think this question 
by how well they fit our mold for whatever fill-in-the-blank social role we have in mind. And then to be loud that confining expectation to limit our relationship with God. And Luke, the story of Mary suggests that God sees us, hears us, accepts us, loves us for who we are uniquely, and not for the limiting roles that a particular human culture might play on us. Okay, so I have a little bit more time. So let's turn to another Mary who's also seen by Jesus, not for her role, but for who she is and how she sees him. And this is Mary's sister Martha. You know this story, I'm sure. Jesus is at their house, and Martha's busy with hospitality, but her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and that means she's acting like the disciple of the rabbi, which is not a normal thing for women at this time. And um, Mary's actions are resisting a predetermined role. Her focus is on Jesus. And Luke tells us specifically that she is not only sitting at Jesus' feet, but she's using her ear. She's hearing. She's listening to his words. Jesus has her complete attention. But Martha is very unhappy with the fact that her sister is unhappy. Right? So she complains. And it's interesting. She doesn't ask Jesus to say something to her sister. No, she's not a would you please Jesus. She commands Jesus to intervene. I don't even notice that she says, tell my sister to help me. You've got to kind of hand it to Martha. She knows what she wants, and she goes for it. Uh, but Jesus pushes back. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha is worried and distracted by many things, but there is need of only one thing. Two words are interesting to me here. The word translated distracted is even a little more intense than the English conveys. It means to be thrown into disorder or confusion. So, uh, so that's what's happening for Martha. Um, I can really that. The phrase translated better part is literally good part. Uh, it could mean better part, but it doesn't have to mean better part. And I actually think good part is a better translation. Mary has chosen the good part. The problem I see with better is that it suggests that one of these actions is inherently better than the other. Sitting at Jesus' feet and learning is inherently better than doing hospitality. And I've heard the story interpreted this way, have you? But I don't think the story is about ranking one kind of activity as better than the other. I think the story is about attention. Mary has chosen to focus her attention on Jesus, to really listen, and to really see. But Martha is thrown into confusion because her attention is on something else. Actually, a lot of something else, right? Her task, her house, her relationship with her sister, her issues with her sister because you know there had to be some that going on. Nobody with a sibling can read this story without thinking of some baggage here. <laughs> past, uh, past story. All these things are distracting Martha, and they are important. The task, the house, the sister. I'm not saying these aren't significant things in Martha's life, but Martha's focus is not on the one thing that is needed, which is this. The visitation of God in Christ. It is right in front of her, but all she can see is her lazy sister sitting there not happy. Mm-hmm. Martha's got a serious case of inattentional blindness, watching the basketball players and missing the girls. But Mary has chosen to focus on God, and so she's chosen the good part. She does not allow social expectations, even the very important and good expectation of hospitality, or the anxiety of the present moment to define her and determine her actions. All of these things could have prevented her from sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing and learning. But because she had her eyes on the one thing necessary, she chose the good part. 
Getting all her tasks done, she could have focused her attention on Jesus and demonstrated that attention by providing a great meal for everyone. Maybe for Martha, based on her own unique personality and qualities and gifts as a human being, providing hospitality was exactly the right choice for her. The problem then is that her, with her eyes distracted from Jesus, she projects her own good part onto her sister. If it is the right thing for Martha to provide hospitality, then that must be true for her sister too. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? We see a world our vision gets narrowed down, then we put these expectations on other people. Maybe the expectations come from society, maybe from the way we were raised, or maybe they're just our experiences and personalities and preferences, and then we go about our business as if our reality ought to be true for everyone else. I expect you've been on the receiving end of this. Most of us have probably done it to others, at least in our minds, if not all out. <laughs> so then, if any of us step out of what others see as a normal lane and try something
who God made us to be. And I think the story of Mary and Martha challenges us to do that by focusing on Jesus, see him, listen to him, and then respond to God's freeing visitation in a way that is completely authentic for each one of us. Choose the good part. And the good part isn't one size fits all. It's individual. Mary, Jesus' mother, asked questions, pondered, and prayed a prayer full of scripture. This Mary sits at Jesus' feet, listening, and Martha sees that no one can The challenge is for each of us to be true to ourselves as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, all the while letting our brothers and sisters do the same. Or to put this another way, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we are set free from the expectations that weigh us down, we quit putting those expectations on others. Okay, I think I have enough time to look briefly at two other stories about me touching the gospel. So, do you remember the story of the woman who touches Jesus' cloak? Do you the story? Yes. So Jesus has been asked by the head of the synagogue to come heal his young daughter. He's on his way and he's surrounded on all sides by a huge crowd, right? But a woman who has a urine, has had a urine health problem for 12 years and has spent all of her money on doctors who have not helped her, she starts pushing her way through the crowd to get close to Jesus just so she and when she does, she's healed. Right. One of the things I love about the story is that Jesus stops to find out who touched him. He could have just gone on his way, but this person is a this woman is a person of high value to him. It is not enough to heal her. He needs to see her. She wants healing. He wants her to be healed, but more than just physically. He wants her to know her worth. And so, when he starts asking who touched him, the woman realizes she can't remain hidden in the crowd, and she reveals herself. And Jesus calls her daughter. And he praises her faith, which has brought her from her healing. Actually, in Greek, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Uh, the word saved is, is a multi-purpose word, and it can relate to healing, too. And he tells her to go in peace. So she leaves this exchange with the status of daughter having salvation, wellness, and peace. That's what it means to be set free. There's a similar story about a woman who has suffered from a spinal, a severe spinal curvature for 18 years. I don't know if you remember the story. She seeks out Jesus in the synagogue where he's teaching, and it seems to me that she sort of sneaks in the back, like she doesn't, a little bit like the woman who touches Jesus' garment, you know, she doesn't want, she wants to know that she doesn't want to cause a disruption. But then Luke tells us that Jesus sees her. He sees her. And Jesus calls her over and he says, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And immediately she straightens up and like Mary Jesus' mother begins to praise God. And then the story gives us a really interesting contrast. A leader in the synagogue reprimands the woman for coming to be healed on the Sabbath. So the visitation of God is setting someone free right in front of this man, but he can't see it. Like Martha, he's suffering from a kind of inattentional blindness. He's too focused on other things. I don't know, technicalities, control, doctrine, something along those lines. From Jesus' perspective, the big problem is that the man fails to see the words of the woman. Jesus says that to him. When it comes to Sabbath, you've already decided it's okay to lead an animal to water. Now, Jesus' words imply a question that Jesus doesn't actually say out loud, and that's this question. Do 
having more worth than this woman? What Jesus says out loud is this. Shouldn't this woman, this daughter of Abraham, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? As in the previous story, he calls the woman daughter. And in both of these stories, these women are seen by Christ and they are set free. They are healed, set free from their physical sufferings, but they are also set free by Jesus' words, his care, his attention. They're set free from invisibility, from being dehumanized and devalued, from a lack of worth, and from despair and hopelessness. I want to say two more things about this story. First, whenever we talk about being set free, I think it's important, actually crucially important, to acknowledge that God does not set us free from everything. The Bible is very clear that in Christ we will suffer, and all of us in this room have been carrying burdens, some heavier than others, and I don't for one second mean to imply that because we are not free from all our burdens, that that is somehow on us, like we haven't had the right attention or prayed hard enough or been faithful enough. That's bad, hurtful theology. <laughs> so I just want to be very clear about the fact that the visitation of God is coming into our world here and now, it's setting people free here and now. But even though the kingdom has been inaugurated and started, evil, sin, illness, and hurt are still very much with us. We are in, in between time. Even in the dramatic miracles in scripture, Jesus doesn't set these people free from every burden in their lives. Like the woman who touches his cloak and gets healed, she still has an issue of having stuff all her men doctors, right? Um, the woman who's healed in the synagogue probably has some other negative stuff going on in her life too. And they both still live under the oppressive regime of So it's important to be clear about this tension in our Christian faith. When I talk about freedom, I think this is really important. That the resurrection power is incredible. It's at work transforming our lives and setting us free from all kinds of burdens and oppression. And yes, we still carry burdens. Uh, but praise God, those burdens are light by Christ, and our suffering makes us more able to serve others. So that's an important more than a caveat, it's an important point. The second thing I want to point out is, did you notice the determination of these women? Yeah. Both take risks and go through barriers to seek the release of Jesus' grace, right? The first woman pushes through a crowd, even though she doesn't want to be seen, she reaches out her hands to Jesus to draw out his power. The second woman must have gone to some trouble to find Jesus in the synagogue, and she takes a great risk entering in the Sabbath, as you can see by the way people respond to her. Both women boldly seek what they need from Jesus, and they put themselves out there to get the freedom that Jesus offers. They don't just accept their oppression, but they use their energy and initiative to seek release from the things that weigh them down. They use their energy to live into this freeing visitation. So they are, in a way, participating with Christ in their release from oppression, and he certainly doesn't criticize them for taking this initiative. He sees them. He loves them. He calls them daughters, and he sets them free. Okay, well, I don't have a lot of time to develop it. I want to offer a final point, and that is that Jesus sets us free from various types of oppression, and also sets us free to something. If we were to look at some more women in Luke and trace their stories into action, we would find that when these people are set free, they become sources of strength, peace, love, and testimony to the world. For example, just very briefly, in Luke 7, there's a woman who does this wild, radical act of ministry. I don't know if you remember her. She barges uninvited into the dinner party of men to wash Jesus' feet and dry them with her tears. Yes. Oh, that was her hair. Sorry, that was tight. But all the hosts can see in a moment of profound, inattentional blindness 
is this woman's past and her bad reputation. The host cannot see what she's doing for Jesus. But Jesus describes her as someone who has been forgiven much and so loves much. I don't know if you know this, but the word forgiven means released, set free. The woman has been set free, and it's because she has been set free that she loves so extravagantly. I guess you could say that is our whole story, the whole story of our life in Christ. Right there in a nutshell. We are set free for a purpose, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to care for each other, maybe even in wild, surprising ways, and to live out our freedom together. Experiencing release is a powerful, motivating force to live out the way of Jesus. And as we also see, as Luke's story continues into Acts, the experience of being set free leads to, think about Acts, really bold proclamation. And a willingness to cross risky social boundaries so that the good news of Jesus' freedom reaches everyone. Freedom in Christ is a proclamation and a way of living that changed the world. And I'm convinced it can still do this. So to recap, we've seen the importance of freedom in Jesus' ministry arriving in the invitation of God. We are truly seen and heard by God in Christ as we are. We must see and hear God's invitation to experience his freedom. We've seen Jesus speak words of freedom, interacting with people in a way that releases them from societal goals and expectations of others so that they can live into the call of God authentically as they truly are as God sees them. We've seen Jesus set people free from illness and at the same time from dehumanizing and devaluation by others so that they are seen as worthy and called daughters. This is the freedom-bringing invitation of God in the Gospel of Luke. And as we conclude, I want us to leave us with one main question. And that is, how can we live into this freedom today, both individually and in our churches? It occurs to me that to do so, we need to explore our cages. What are they? What are the hindrances, restraints, and oppressions in my life that's holding me back? What are the hindrances, restraints, and oppressions in the lives of others? Their cages might be different from mine. And I might need to do some work to set aside my own expectations and my own inattentional blindness to really see what's holding other people back. And, and as I ask these questions, I don't know what comes to mind for you, and I'm not going to ask you to share. <laughs> But I'm, I'm kind of brainstorming here. And I'm thinking of cages like despair and shame and anger, overwork, fear. There's been a lot of fear. Maybe. Striving and insecurity, worry and anxiety, judging each other, bitterness, grief, feelings of worthlessness, health challenges, of course, systemic kinds of oppressions specific behaviors that hurt ourselves or others, and all the other kinds of hindrances that we put on each other. And once we recognize our cages, I think these stories from Luke encourage us to be bold about seeking freedom from Jesus. Jesus wants us to bring these hindrances to him so that he can release us, so that God can release us through the Holy Spirit. These oppressive things weigh us down. And my study of Luke has really convinced me that God desires us not to be weighed down by him. Not every last really we're still in the end between time, but so, so many of them. And this may not happen overnight. It could be a 
will turn God from choosing the good part, from being present with God. And Luke has also convinced me that God calls us to be bold about seeking freedom for all God's children. Bold about participating with Christ in the ways he wants us to be free. Bold about reaching out and taking hold with that woman of the resurrection power in our lives. Bold about breaking up and doing doors and throwing out shackles. And when we experience God's freedom, then we are free to love the way Jesus did, wildly and extravagantly. And we are empowered with a very good story truly good news. A story about how God really sees us, each of us as unique human beings. How God values all of us, not for a particular role or what we produce, but for who we really are. And that God has brought power into this world that has set people free. And we know this is true. I know this is true. Because I can see how God has set me free and how that process continues in my so may we see freedom and pay attention when it comes, and may we have this powerful story to tell. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and that is good for me. Thanks for listening.